On today's episode of Secrets to Scaling Your E-Commerce Brand, I got a chance to chat with Oren Charnoff from Fondue. We had such a good conversation around coupon codes, how coupon codes are absolutely killing your bottom line and your top line as well, and the solution that Fondue has that may actually change the entire game. We talk about some of the results that they have seen. We talk about some of Oren's path with Fondue and how quickly they have grown. You guys are definitely not going to want to miss this one. Hey, hey guys, are you struggling to create offers that actually convert? Look no further than our must-have brand new course called Million Dollar Offers. With just a few short videos, you're going to learn the seven essential elements of a million dollar offer and how to leverage the power of AI and chat GPT to iterate on your headlines and your prompts. The great news is that this course is actually completely free. So Google Upgrowth Academy, that's Upgrowth Academy, and looks at the course called Million Dollar Offers. You guys will not regret this one. Now on to today's episode. Hey guys, Jordan West back with another episode of Secrets to Scaling Your E-Commerce Brand. Today I'm joined by Oren Charnoff from Fondue. Oren, welcome to the podcast. Long-time listener, first-time caller. What's up, Jordan? Or I am looking forward to this conversation today. I am not going to be taking it easy on you. I know, like, before this, you know, we had some friendly conversation. I seemed like everything was cool, but I'm telling you, man, I'm going to be digging into to what you guys are doing over at Fondue and seeing uh, if this is uh, the real deal. So I, I'm, I'm hoping that you're ready. Let's get weird, Jordan. Let's get weird. <laughs> Let's do it. So first of all, Oren, Fondue, for people who know nothing about you, if they're like, Fondue, like I, I don't know what this company is, some, some kind of like melted cheese company. Tell us a little bit about who you are and what you guys do. Totally. So I'm Oren. I'm one of the founders at Fondue, now a Postscript company. We were acquired uh, a few months ago. Fondue exists for one thing and one thing only, and it's to replace every coupon code online. We think that they are the devil reincarnated, where brands are unnecessarily losing margin by discounting way more than they need to. And cash back by Fondue, now by Postscript. It's a strictly more profitable and higher converting alternative where shoppers are given the choice, what type of incentive do you want? Do you want cash or do you want site credit back to the brand? Yeah, uh, yeah. And it works. I love it. So let's let's dive into why this works. I'd love to dive into like the, the buyer psychology of like, why this cash back? First of all, why is it good for the brand? Let's talk about that first, because I think that's probably the most compelling thing or the most compelling reason. And then let's let's go back and I want to talk about what this actually looks like from the customer perspective and why it actually may even be a better user experience in the end, or even if it is. Totally. So for the brands, brands have a discount problem. Most brands don't have a discount strategy. They don't even know how much money they're losing discounting. It's just a cost of doing business. And that's because the only way to discount are freaking coupon codes, which are problematic for so many reasons. The shopper who's buying D2C Shopify while they are considerate a brand, that's not the prime driver. They're connecting with the brand for a greater reason because they could buy cheaper substitutes at a fraction of the price on the marketplace. And yet brands are systematically bleeding margin unnecessarily, right? We said these aren't the most price sensitive shoppers. So rather than giving everyone the effortless coupon code, what cashback is doing is shoppers complete a full price purchase. They're eligible to claim their discount post-purchase. And when they claim it, they're given a choice, either take it as cash or a greater value as site credit. And because so many shoppers take site credit, and also many shoppers don't redeem it at all because they're just not price sensitive. Like we said, they're buying D2C yeah. Shopify. It's yeah. way more profitable. Thus, brands can actually discount more aggressively while doing it more profitably, as long as they do it with a cashback type 
as opposed to stinky, stinky coupon codes. So, okay, so walk me through that. Let's just say that we're giving the exact same amount, right? So let's say we have a 30% off discount code, super aggressive on the site. And instead we're switching to a 30% cash back. Why is that costing the brands less? That's what I don't understand in this whole model. Like, isn't it in the end, you're just trading the exact same amount of discount in the end? Totally. Well, a few things. One is if we're going to bring it down to a use case, we'll do where most brands start off with cash back is the pop-up email and SMS welcome series. Okay. Because with tools like Postscript, Clavio, Attentive and the like, where we integrate still with everyone, we just want cash back being used. Although yeah. we do like Postscript a lot. I'm sure uh, you do. Yeah, it's a really awesome place to A-B test, right? So there's really a clear place to be doing this test, number one, to build some trust. Yeah. Number two, the way that this is more profitable is, let's say your pop-up used to say, you know, here's 20% off, give me your email and SMS, and then we'll give you that coupon. Now it'll say get 20 or 30 or even 40% back. So shoppers opt in for a great savings opportunity. They complete their full price purchase. And then post-purchase, they get a notification, do you want to claim your discount? Some shoppers won't claim it, and that's totally fine. They don't care. They're not price sensitive. And yeah. then if they do claim it, then they're given the choice between cash or site credit. And what we're seeing is about three quarters of shoppers are either claiming nothing or taking gift cards. That is wildly profitable compared to yeah. losing 20% off every time guaranteed with a coupon code, which by the way, due to leakage, you have coupon codes getting injected bleeding margin where that wasn't even a part of the journey. Cashbacks are way more secure. There's no leaking. There's no injecting. These are done through UTMs. So yeah. you are only discounting on purchases where the shoppers know that there's a discount, number one. And number two, you're not necessarily discounting every time you might win the back with the site credit or just won't be claimed. So it's yeah. way more profit, period. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's, I mean, that's great in itself. Let's talk about the numbers that we actually care about, right? So, you know, on this podcast all the time, we're talking, you know, for anyone who's listened to this for any amount of time to, you know, the previous almost 500 episodes, we love to talk about incrementality, right? Love attribution, but I love incrementality. And it's like, well, Warren, does this actually cause incrementality for brands? Are brands, when putting fondue on, actually doing better profit incrementality wise versus the coupon code wise? Like, are we seeing higher add to cart? Are we seeing more subscribers? Are we seeing higher conversion rates? What kind of numbers are we actually seeing with all of this rather than the brand just saving money, which is also compelling. It's not like that's not compelling. I love that. But to me, it's got to go a little bit farther. No, I totally agree. There's no one in growth who is looking just to add margin, right? Like they always want growth. So let's go full cycle on the pop-up email and SMS welcome flow. So firstly, if you were to have a cashback offer versus a coupon code offer, when also using our best practices, we're benchmarking 30% less growth. To have that throughout the year, to have 30% more folks listening on BFCM to your email and SMS pushes is extremely valuable. Totally. I don't want to add 5% less growth. That is good. And incrementally that adds, this should be the biggest thing you've done to your pop-up in a very long time. So yep. that's number one. Then number two is welcome series revenue. For the half that get exposed to cash back and the half that get exposed to the coupon code, what's the difference? And we're targeting here, it's 35% more welcome series rep. Now, what's the definition of welcome series revenue? There's three underlying metrics. List, meaning new subscribers, yeah. times AOV, times conversion rate. So we'll break yeah. it down to all those. Look, you might have slightly higher AOV, slightly less conversions, but we look at welcome series revenue, period. Do you okay. sell, do you get more 
gross dollars as a result of the cash back. Yeah. So yeah, 30% less growth, 35% welcome rev boost. And then it's not just gross rev, what's the profitability impact? So given many shoppers don't claim cash back and many take gift cards, we're looking to add on average is three to 5% more margin on that first purchase compared to the coupon. So that's that full cycle, a more profitable and more frequent first purchase. As somebody who, you know, owns multiple brands in the space, runs an agency, all that kind of stuff. You know, I'm looking at brands financials all the time. Does this show up as, so first of all, how long is this cash back or the gift card actually eligible for? It's up to the brand. This is a brand choice. And then how does that actually show up on the balance sheet? Does that show up as a liability on the balance sheet? Totally. So for brands who issue site credit, they can choose how they want to structure this on their own. We are not officially accountants and we've seen others who are not accountants and many who are. The brand gets to choose if they would like how long the site credit is available for. Secondly, what about the cash back? How long can the shopper claim it for? While legally they have six months to claim their discount, their incentive, 85% of shoppers will claim it in the first 11 minutes and 95% of shoppers will claim it in the first two days. Essentially, gotcha. no one takes that for two weeks. So you can carry that liability for as long as you choose, but how long we see most people actually accruing and carrying it for is on these two-week periods. That's number one. Number two, liability is not a bad word. It's called a free freaking loan. So like, that's the second piece I wanted to add. And then lastly, where will this appear on balance sheet? More net revenue, net of discounts. Like you will discount less as a result of this, period. That is the ultimate place if you want to drill it down. You will convert comparably, i.e. more, but you will have more net rev, net of discount. By the way, go into Shopify, and if you look at the definition of their reports, the difference between gross sales and net sales, it's net of returns. And everyone has a return strategy. Everyone has a returns tool. The power of these returns tools is they displace effortless pre-printed labels with post-purchase funnels. The other definition of net sales is net of discounts. Right now, this is like before people had returns tools expanding the journey. Effortless pre-purchase coupons to cashback post-purchase journeys. We are doing to discount what others have done to returns. And no one had a return strategy, you know, in a meaningful way three, four, five years ago. And I would argue most people, like I said in the beginning, they don't have a discount strategy. No one's in charge of discounts. So this is a discount era, I would say. It's kind of funny because we were just having this discussion on the the mastermind that I run, the e-commerce execs mastermind. And it was a really interesting discussion where one person, you know, we we're, were doing one of those ones where it's like one person brings something that's just ridiculously smart, something that's working, something that they've proven out. And we had two times throughout this, it was about discounting for the most part, where it was on either side. So one person was saying, hey, we've just raised our prices 25% and have a, a common, you know, 25% off discount. And that's what they're doing. They've doubled their sales because of doing that. That's been great. And then there's others who have tried strategies similar to yours. And I think even actually worked with you and seen results there. And it's really difficult to, to be able to like say, well, like one's right and one's wrong uh, in that sort of sense. And I understand this is a totally different, different strategy. What do you say to people that are like, well, I just don't want to change my discounting strategy. I am totally fine with it. Is there a way for you to be able to actually know what that incrementality could be? Can you test fondue on a certain like amount of customers that are coming in? That, that sort of idea? Yeah. So for folks who are less inclined, hold on, we've got, we've got Ben Amir, Ben say hello. He's headed back to Israel from the New York office. So this is him saying bye. Yeah. 
I'm going to give him a hug. One second, Jordan, and all the listeners. You go for it. So back uh, back to our regularly scheduled program. I think Ben oh. was on, has been on this podcast. The different bat. Oh, there's a different bat. Okay. Yeah. And, oh, no, we had Adam. We had Adam on from right. script. Yeah, yeah. Found, Founder. Yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Ben is from the Fondue Tel Aviv office. Um, ah, gotcha. Never mind. Oh, total. So firstly, for brands who say they've already got a discount strategy, it doesn't fit in. That's fine. At least they have a discount strategy. But this is an A-B test on the pop-up and welcome series is really what we advocate for. It's yeah. not site-wide. Run it. You can run this for a week or two and you can get real empirical data. But generally, people don't have a discount strategy. They may have an aversion to discounts, specifically coupon codes. But discounts work. It's called Black Friday, Cyber Monday, Labor Day, Mother's Day, Father's Day. People want this dopamine hit. It is like the currency of conversion. Yeah, but it totally is. People People only know of the stale, stinky coupon code. Yeah, absolutely. Warren, let's get into some results that you've seen with brands. What are people seeing when they make the switch over? And I'm looking for like some meaningful sort of eight-figure kind of, you know, totally. brands in here. Like, what are you seeing as far as some compelling results? Sure. So again, it starts off by building trust that this is a discount for you to use. It starts on the public and welcome series but it can graduate to ads, influencers, affiliates, and site-wide. On that initial A-B test, again, 30% less growth, 30% welcome rev, and 3 to 5% more profit per conversion. It's then taking that conviction of seeing how this works full cycle in the shopper journey, and then applying it to other retention flows, site-wide, and then ads, influencers, and affiliates. Check out Opti. Those folks are just done couponing as a result of cashback. Wow. Check out True Classic Teeds, who went from the welcome series to so much more. Check out Barstool Sports. I can name other D2C Twitter darlings, but uh, like for us, this is only the beginning. We're just getting started here. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Warren, I want to ask you the question I ask everyone who comes on the podcast. What is your secret to scaling? So my secret to scaling in truth has been people care about founders. People don't care about vendors. So like what was able to get us our first hundreds of brands is that it was founder-led sales. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Being able to keep a like, comment, and reach out on Twitter or LinkedIn and I say, I'm a founder just trying to like will my reality into existence. People care about people. People don't care about vendors or companies. They may have an affinity to them. They might respect them, but people like to contribute to people's success. So when you're at that zero to one or zero to a couple hundred brands, like lean into the fact that you're a person. Because before you scale that team and work becomes, while still very human, ultimately you're scaling quite transactionally. You can do a lot of damage by being a person as opposed to being a company. That's why most people follow people on Twitter and LinkedIn yeah. and not necessarily companies. So own that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is a massive secret that I think a lot of founders don't understand is build, number one, build a personal brand, even if it has nothing to do with your brand. Building a personal brand on Twitter and LinkedIn is the cheat code in 2023, right? And for Warren and I, we've done a really good job of doing that over the years and knowing how to actually leverage that. But the number one currency in all of this is trust. It's the number one currency. And it's the reason why I've hopped on many calls with Warren. And, and just to double down on that, it doesn't have to be as public or like as, as it is by building on Twitter. People will complain about their problems with their businesses online. And you can just DM them. Like whatever your alternative is or the problem you're solving, I would just type in the word coupon code. And I would just DM people who spoke about it. Hey, I read this. Like, this is part of what I'm building and why I'm solving it. Like, it doesn't need to be that, like, you try and build followers so they engage with you. Engage with people that are publishing this online. Totally. 
especially if it's t- and even if they posted it six years ago, they'll feel seen. Yeah. Right. Connect with them. So you don't need to try and do this like build in public. Let the others who are like that exhaust, that digital exhaust of what they're working on or problems they face, be your initial end users because they're there. You just got to hustle it. Yeah. Absolutely. Thinking about that sort of difference, right? So I think that there is this beautiful thing of being able to build in public. There's some people out there that are doing a great job. Adam Robinson of Retention is doing an awesome job. It is freaking scary. I mean, Adam's had to pivot massive amounts in public and we've all been there to see it and we all love to watch. I mean, who doesn't love watching a crash and burn? I do. I mean, I was a paramedic for 12 years. I got such a dopamine hit out of that sometimes, even though I love and care for people so deeply. You love to totally. see that. And so building in public is not for the faint of heart. This is not something like, like guys, I, I'm fairly active on social and I do not like that aspect of things. I remember I posted something that was like slightly built in public last year about, you know, the, the ridiculousness of people not wanting to do a project when they were at their like fifth interview stage. And it reached like a million people because people were so mad at me for daring to ask somebody. Now, this is before the job market tanked a bit, but that kind of stuff is really scary. So as founders, I think it's really important to know kind of where that makes sense, right? And and tons of, there's been so many Instagram darling brands that have grown to, you know, anywhere between three and five million just because people love the founder. And totally. I want to bring up one more example because I think this is really an interesting example in our space that we're the SaaS sort of world. You know, we used to love, who did not love Clavio when they were small? Clavio was just the best organization ever. Loved them. They would do whatever for you. As they've grown in their pre-IPO right now, it's just not that way. It's now become a faceless organization. And Jimmy Kim at Sendlane has stepped in to fill that role in the bottom. And we want, people want that. They want that connection to the founder. And that's why Sendlane will win in this. I mean, really guys, Clavio has like 70% of the market share. They're not hurting any part of this but on that point firstly there's room for multiple winners they're both incredible vendors probably like the growth rate of Sandlane, right that they were able to fill that in and bring that human element while like we said as company scale it's tough to it's tough to keep that like personal element in the beginning but it must be so awesome to be a brand right now to have such fierce competition on the service and SaaS vendor side right now because it's not just like feature parity competition of service it's competition of personality and of values like, what an awesome time to be a brand where there's a lot of noise out there, but it just creates incredible quality tools to be using. Yeah, absolutely. Horn, what's the worst insult somebody has said about fondue? The worst insult that somebody has said about fondue? I think the worst insult that we've been told has been, man, you really stumped me, Jordan. It's just a good, it's a good question. I think about this with like our agency too. I'm like, what's the worst thing that somebody could say to me? And I think it's, for me, it would be about service, right? It'd be like, no, don't you say that. And I'm going to fix every possible service offering possible because we are a hundred percent. That would be the hardest thing that somebody has said to me. And they have said it in the past and we've fixed things. So I'm thinking about that. And I'm thinking about what, what exactly that is for you guys. You know, what have people said that that have been like, oh man, this this one's going to keep me up at night. I, I think the thing that keep me up at night, I'm not so sure if it's an insult. And I'm not trying to avoid the question. I just don't really know what the answer is. Is like, if the product didn't resonate with them or work with them for some reason, and they don't have the, and they choose not to say why, right? Because mm-hmm. that leaves mm-hmm. me guessing. In the same way that when someone says there's a service problem, that's in your domain to control. You're, all, like, you're just trying to, like, to build companies that change you and your team's lives and the businesses of people that trust you. 
by them telling you explicitly what the problem is and for it to be within your domain of service, how awesome that then you can will your reality to better it for the business and the customer. Totally. So I think that's not the most insulting, but that's like the most troubling is when there's no call to action and feedback, especially when it's bad. So I would say that might not personally hurt, but I don't know what to do with that. When that totally that that is incredibly difficult right when people are just kind of like oh i'm just fed up with this like yeah but what about it because i want to fix it for the next person it's not working for me and they don't qualify why totally and you know brands who are listening to this and agencies as well i mean you're working with vendors as well by 40 percent of the people that listen to this are agencies the rest are brands and guys just remember that this feedback it's really difficult to give it's really difficult to give but it's so imperative. You know, when I'm looking at different service providers, I make sure to let them know, hey, I'm not going to be working with you for this reason because I want to close feedback loops all the time, right? These loops are really important to close and it really matters for, for the vendors and also for yourself, just in the, the different trust that you have. Oh, sorry, we only got a couple more minutes here and I got three more questions for you. I hope you're ready. Let's go. Yeah, no, we've got, we got a hard stop in a bit, but let's get meaty with it. Let's go. Okay, let's dive into the exit here. I was so surprised when I saw that PostScript bought you guys because I, for, for me, I was trying to think, I'm like, where's the connection there? And I guess it makes sense on, on you know, acquiring new subscribers. Were you, was this something that, that you know, you had been thinking about for a while? Was, did this come out from out of the blue? What happened with that? Totally. So it's super reasonable to ask the genesis of the deal and then like why PostScript? So firstly, we were approached by a different company who was tracking us actively for a while. And then we wanted to do the fiscally responsible thing. So we evaluated, you know, our, we were growing our revenues, like more than one, less than 5 million of run rate. We were super pleased having released that product about a year before. So we just wanted to see and check this as shareholders and for the rest of our shareholders, one on a capital raising route or two, this is something interesting for someone to buy right now, right? Yeah. And you don't just want sure. one offer. And luckily we've known the PostScript folks for a while just due to overlapping brands. So when we were just taking this around, we were just WhatsApping a few people to take a quick look. And the relationship with PostScript was like a really natural one, but we gave it the explicit framework of like, oh, we have an offer, you want to see what it is. And it was, we also, we would one day likely exit to a marketing automation company in the email and SMS space. Because we feel we have a ton of convictions, the best way to discount on the pop-up and retention theory. And for them, it's list growth, it's more conversions, it's greater AOV, more revenue contribution. And look, their goal remains the same, our goal rather, at PostScript, it's make SMS the number one revenue brand. Yeah. So to have bigger lists and have more efficiency from those conversions, it's just an extremely natural place for us to continue to scale within their ecosystem. But we still, we were just featured on the Sendlane homepage. We recorded a podcast with Clavio. It's like more yeah. of the same for us. Yeah. Love it, Warren. I'm, I'm really glad that you brought, brought those two into the mix as well, right? Because that's the scary thing when, when somebody gets acquired by a competitor in the space like that. It's like, oh, are we just shutting everything off to, to these two, you know, vendors? And, and knowing that you're still working really well with them gives me a lot of confidence. One point I wanted to bring up from something that you said before is how you'd built those, that relationship already with PostScript, right? That there was, you know, another person that was interested. Guys, this is really, really important in the stage of business you're in right now, whatever stage it is, is really thinking about what does that next level look like? You know, maybe you don't want to exit. Maybe this is just a lifestyle business you want to keep forever, but always thinking who is going to be a potential purchaser or who am I going to potentially purchase on the, on the other side? Those are both really good questions to be asking yourself 
at all times. Those are CEO questions that that shouldn't be keeping you up at night, but that you should have buttoned up and answered. Yeah. And I think for us, we didn't set out to sell the company because we had it in bed from someone else. We just wanted to do something like relatively thoughtful and intentional as a result. And by having like somewhat of a legacy relationship, but an extremely explicit discussion, we're evaluating what to be doing with our business right now. We've had some opportunities to explore raising money. We just had an inbound for us to educate ourselves as founders. Let's chat about what this could be worth to you. And what was scheduled to be a 30 minute intro chat turned into a two and a half hour intro chat. And from that first meeting, I spoke to others, executives and founders at Postscript, but never the CEO. From that first meeting until closing, it took 61 days. That's fast. That's very fast. Wow. That's awesome. And you guys know we love we love the guys over at Postscript as well. We've had them on the pod before. Really, really great crew over there. Warren, I, I've got time for three more questions. First question for you. Favorite tool or app that you're using besides Fondue? My favorite tool or app that I'm using outside of Fondue is that this isn't super unique, but and now that we're a Postscript company, we just started to use Gong and some of the transcription tools. Mm. And I thought, that's adorable. As we're scaling and we're hitting this new chapter, right, from having like founder-led sales and a couple of salespeople to as a team of 70, it's just the most efficient way to be scaling learning and knowledge. And it's incredible to see how often it's being used by sales teams. And then just for like taking those quick notes, I'm surprised I wasn't using it sooner. Felt like an unforced error. Pretty basic, but pretty down letter for using it. Same for, for me with Fireflies. It's like, what? How did I not use this before? It's like a, totally a cheat code, especially when you have an assistant as well, who then combs through them, looks at all the action items. You don't have to have okay. them on every single call with you. It's yeah, it's phenomenal. Uh, second question for you: favorite podcast or audiobook that you're listening to right now? Favorite podcast or audio that I'm listening to right now? I moved to Israel five years ago from the U.S. and like I'm still trying to catch up on my Israel history compared to U.S. history. So I can nerd out on like a bunch of like really specifics about Israel's history, but that has been worth spending most of my time is I'm a new citizen of a new country. So just trying to learn its history. That's like, cool. That's great. Last question for you. You just found out you have a year to live. What changes? I probably want to work. I have two kids under two and a half. So I would probably just play with them every day. Yeah, (laughs) that's great. I don't live to work. Work is a big part of my life. But, and it's a place of intellectual stimulation, social stimulation, and achievement. But it's also, you know, transactional or means to an end. Like that end is like family. So I would probably just not work, period. Yeah. Yeah. Skip the means. Just go straight to the end because that's what's happening. <laughs> so okay. thank you, Oren, so much for your time. Where can people find out more about you and reach out to Fondue as well? Totally. So you go to getfondue.com, check it out on the Postscript homepage. You can find me on LinkedIn or on my Twitter at Ocharna. And hopefully soon, wherever coupon codes can be found, find us there as well. Love it. Awesome. Well, thank you again so much for your time today. Thanks, Jordan. Thanks for having me on. Hey guys, just wanted to say thanks again so much for listening to the podcast. If I could ask one favor of you, it would be to share this with your other e-commerce store owner friends. We want everyone in the e-com space to be listening to this podcast and lots of you guys already are. And we really, really appreciate that. One last thing before you go as well is we are offering to our podcast listeners a free e-commerce growth plan where we go from strategy to sale with your brand in this e-commerce growth plan. So feel free to go to www.upgrowthcommerce.com slash grow and apply for a free growth plan today. Thank you all again so much for listening.